0: Lord, we worship you this morning. We're grateful that we get to be in your presence, that we get to approach you, that we get to come before your throne and petition you and have a relationship with you and pursue you. And and we recognize this morning that that's only because you've made a way. That's only because of Jesus that we get to be in your presence And God, we ask this morning that you would speak through your word and through the words we're singing, the word of your scripture, and that you would illuminate that to our hearts so that we would know you, that we would enjoy the surpassing value of knowing you more this morning, because we get to simply because of what you've done for us. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. And at this time, I want to release the children to head downstairs to our children's ministry to to get into the gospel, into the word together. All right. Well, good morning. You made it. Good job. <laughs> I realized the uh, value this morning of snow tires simply because I don't have them. And uh, I was like on ice skates this morning. And the poor um, Indian fellow that pulled out this mor- in front of me this morning almost, uh, almost experienced it with me <laughs> as, I, as I slid into oncoming traffic and made it here okay. Anybody else have any? Everybody's good? Um, You'd think I'd know how to drive in this by now since I lived here my whole life. Um, If you have with you this morning your discipleship roadmap that we passed out last week, go ahead and grab that. And if you don't have it, Mike Mazie is standing in the back. Would you just lift your hand and grab one of these? Because this is something we're spending the next several weeks, talking about it. I want to make sure that you have it in your hands, that you look at it, that you read it, use it, interact with it. If you need to scan it and make it digital so that you feel comfortable, you can do it on your computer and, and interact with it that way. Um, or we can email it to you, whatever you prefer. And, and the reason this is important is because you see on the front cover there our kind of our discipleship roadmap like Chinese throwing star looking thing. And and what that is, is that is a picture, a visible picture of who we are, what we value most, closed fisted value as a church, and what we believe begins to come out, like you see the arrows pointing out that make the Chinese throwing star. We believe that's what comes out of the life of somebody that values Those things in the middle, God, truth, love, and mission. And as we surround our lives, focus our lives, and pursue this together, the measure for us of of church life, and you can turn me down if I'm ringing. I don't know if I'm, that's all right, I'll I'll yell out enough. The measure of us in terms of church life and church, I guess, success really isn't how many people are here and how much money's in the offering plate and whether or not people are happy. Those traditional methods of measurement we have thrown aside and, and we believe that if as God's brought us together around these things that we value, there's, there's outcomes from the life of someone who's, who's valuing God in truth and love and mission. And today we're going to talk about that first outcome. We're going to spend the next several weeks. Isn't this a good way to start the year? Anybody? I mean, we, we, we really believe God has called us to start the year this way, and we've done it the last couple of years, and we can't revisit this enough in our own lives, I know me personally, and hopefully you feel the same way as a church. And one of the first outcomes, the things that, that comes out of the life of someone who's, who's valuing God in truth, in love, in mission, is, is someone who pursues God as their greatest treasure. Does that make sense? someone who now would pursue God as their greatest treasure. And and the reason Mike started last week preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is because this is only a natural outworking of the life of someone who has encountered and been transformed by the gospel. Does that make sense? If you're pursuing some sort of legalistic list of things that you do every week. I got to pray this amount of time. I got to read this many verses to get through the Bible in a year. Um, I'm going to show up to church, and I'm going to check my box. I'm going to go to a small group, or I'm just going to listen to some podcast every week on my way to work, and that's going to somehow accomplish something, and it's not through the filter and through the motivation and through the outworking of the gospel, the salvific work of Jesus Christ, what he's accomplished on your behalf, your recognition of that, your reliance on that for your whole life. And as your life is, is a life that's been transformed by the gospel, it turns into a life that begins to pursue God. If the order is particular, does that make sense? The order by which these things happen is important. It's particular, and if, if your pursuit of God is not an outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in your life, as it's encountered you, and impact you, and changed you, and it's just maybe some religious pursuit of a list of things that you think would be good to do, it's not going to matter. Does that make sense? This comes from this pursuit of God, a life that pursues God as, as our greatest treasure, only works in the context of a life that's been encountered with the gospel of Jesus Christ and been transformed. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what it means to pursue God as our greatest treasure, and I pray that God helps me to do this. i got to be honest with you, the biggest challenge of this sermon for me this week has been to hone this down into something we can talk about in, in 30 minutes, because There's so much to talk about. There's so much to address. There's so much context to give. Sometime in 1996 or 1997, I was out in Portland, Oregon, going to college. I was in Bible college, and my junior year of Bible college, my longtime youth group high school sweetheart uh, and I had spent many, many years together as friends and, and interested in each other. And I had been in college 3,000 miles away for um, now in my third year, eight months out of the year being away, and we broke up. We were literally, really broke up. It wasn't like we didn't have cell phones then, believe it or not, young folks. Um, I had a pay phone in the dorm and a calling card. Who remembers the calling card? Uh, <clears throat> And I stopped using the calling card. We stopped talking to each other. Literally went an entire year of really not having any kind of relationship. And I, towards the end of my junior year, began to feel like, huh, I wonder what Trish is doing. <laughs> and I picked up the calling card, and I called her. And she was mean. <laughs> And I thought, you know what, never mind, I'm done, forget it, that was it, that was the litmus test. She was not nice to me on the phone. She seemed completely disinterested with my phone call. And then I went home for that summer, and I couldn't get her out of my head. And I remember thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to go after this, and if we get back together, this is it, like, I'm going to marry her. And if she's mean again, I'm done, right? I was... I was at decision point, and I, and I remember how I approached this. The first thing I did, because I was scared to call her again, is I called her brother Bobby, and, and he, he was surprised. <laughs> he's like, "What? hey. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm working on my apartment, which was off his parents' house. I'm, I'm working on like, fixing up the apartment. You need help? <laughs> and he's like, sure, come on over. Very surprised that I would want to engage in any kind of labor to help him, since we hadn't talked in a long time. Listen, I could give a rip about Bobby's apartment. and was not interested in helping him at all. I was in pursuit of Tricia. And so I went over there and I sat there and she kind of walked through the apartment a couple times. And I engaged in an active pursuit um, to the point that, that I, I was not going to stop. I was going to talk to her. We were going to have this conversation and, and, and things were either going to happen or they weren't going to happen. Um, she had decided to allow me to date her again the day before her senior ball um, where she was going on a date with this boy who had been pursuing her as well and had broken up with his girlfriend to go to the senior ball with her. So I want you to know that me and the biggest friends I could find all sat in Bob and Debbie's living room when he showed up to pick her up and, and walked in, and there was a clear understanding about what that night was going to be all about for him. And, and her and I were then back together. You know, as I think about pursuing God, I had this passionate, compelling, motivational interest. I, I treasured her. I, there was something about her. I needed, I, I had recognized that, that I couldn't, I, I had recognized in that year off that my life was not going to be okay without her. And so I began this pursuit. And, and as I began to think about the pursuit of God, this, I began to reflect on this because I, I probably in my life apart from from the Lord, had not pursued anything quite like that before. Pursued career, pursued promotion, pursued success. I've pursued leisure, pursued entertainment, pursued many things. But there was a particular passion by which I did this. And I think sometimes when we talk about our intimacy with God, sometimes when we frankly talk about our devotional life or reading the Bible in praying, I think as Christians, many folks gather together, and when this topic is addressed, they think to themselves, ah, "Is this some kind of drudgery? Is this uh, some sort of uh, difficult thing that I need to discipline myself to do?" And in many respects, it can be. But but I want you to hear from Scripture because you know I I've heard people say like John fourteen says, "If you love if you love him, you'll obey him," and so um, obedience and following Jesus has nothing to do with. Um, Or love has nothing to do with emotion or affection. It just has to do with obedience. And I think if you look carefully at that verse, that's just not true. That's not what the verse says. It says, if you what? Love him, then you'll obey him. And what we see from scripture is there is great affection, great passion. There is a love that produces in us a desire and a treasuring of Jesus above all else. There's something about a relationship with God and an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ that begins to produce in us a treasuring of him and affections toward him that aren't always there. You don't always feel it in in the midst of discipline and devotional life and in living out the Christian disciplines. But there is a pursuit that comes from affection and passion and love. Amen? And it's only because, as Mike preached last week, he first loved us in a way that should devastate, in a way that should blow us away, in a way that as we picture the reality of the gospel as, as Mike preached it last week, we, our only response could be grateful um, affection towards a God that loved us in the way that he has, amen? Paul talks about it like this, and I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. There's a couple of things I want to get at before we're done. And the first one is, why is this such a value? And the second one is, a practical how we actually do this. Um, and I'm going to do my best to do that. But if you turn to Philippians chapter 3, um, I want to start in verse, um, give me a second, 10. No, I'm sorry, I apologize. I apologize. I went too far. I want to start in verse 4. Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Listen to verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Listen to the heart of Paul in this as he describes an accounting of his life. And I think we need to look at this first as we dive into what it means to pursue God in in reading his word and in prayer. Um, We need to first address this idea of an accounting of our lives as Paul accounted his life here. I want you to see it in verse 4. He talks about being the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He had built a life that was exemplary. He had built a life and pursued his um, vocation and his uh, life calling as a Pharisee, as a lawyer, as a person who understood the law of God. In a theocracy, he understood the law. He understood what it meant to live up to the law. To the degree that he was so zealous, he persecuted the church or anything that would come against what he believed the law said. He was impeccable. He was beyond reproach. He was a man that, that he felt as though in his works would be acquitted of any wrongdoing or any, any judgment because of his living up to, in his mind, what the law had called him to do. He had lived an impeccable life. And what is, Paul, what is Paul's accounting of that? His accounting of his life is though even though it was exemplary, even though he had done these things, he was a complete... Loser. It was all lost in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. If those things he had pursued caused him to lose a knowing of Jesus Christ, it was all for naught. It was all a loser. It was all illusory. It was nothing. It was moot. It was completely useless as it distracted him, as it, as it caused him to not know Christ, to know these other things. And so everything he had built, everything he had tried to accomplish, everything he pursued, he says, I counted all his loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. How many of you have felt that way? I believe that's where God wants our affections to go. I read an article this week by Francis Chan written in November of 2015. And he wrote this, uh, he wrote this incredible article, I thought, um, about pursuing God as our greatest treasure and, and talking about what else do you have to do today that's more important. And he talks about, in the beginning of the article, uh, he gives a picture of Moses going to the mountain we guys remember this in Exodus, and, and he says, imagine for a moment, you're on a mountain, and it's shaking, and it's thundering, and there's lightning, and there's smoke, and God speaks to you through the mountaintop, and, and you have this relationship with God on a mountaintop in the midst of this incredible shaking, and as you look at the book of Exodus, you see that, that it was so dramatic, it was so dynamic that people feared, people trembled, fe- people, people wondered what was happening. And Francis Chan in this article says, I want you to compare your prayer life and your devotional life to that. How would you describe your prayer life or your devotional life? Ordinary, obligatory, boring. Maybe is motivated to take a a selfie with Moses as it would be to know about what it was like. And In this comparison, he writes in the article, why don't we as believers who have access to the mountaintop go to the mountaintop more often? You know, in some ways, he says, we've become professional gatherers, that we gather as groups together and we become addicted to sermons and the preaching of the word is important and, and I've dedicated a big portion of my life to it, and and he says the same thing in the article. He's he's dedicated a big portion of his life to preaching the word, to conferences, to gathering together. But he says, maybe, and and he even writes in parentheses, which I thought was interesting, even in this article, in reading this article, all of this information, all of these resources, all of these podcasts, have somehow, for us, replaced what it means to be alone with God in his word and in prayer. We have, in some ways, those of us who have access to the mountaintop, access to the God of the universe who called us, who gives us breath, Acts says. He, he, he is the one, in the book of Acts, it says, that gives us our next breath. We get to take another breath because of him, because he hold, holds all things together, and he loves us, and, and we we don't go to the mountain. We don't go to that place where we get to spend time with him. In so many ways... Our phones, our our podcasts, our Facebook, come on, have replaced this incredible opportunity that we have. Sitting in my chair, posted a picture on Facebook of my daughter and her volleyball team. It was a cool picture. And I sat in my chair, had my Bible next to me, It was seven o'clock in the morning where I get a little window of opportunity and I remember feeling elated as the likes came in. Right? Come on. It's like a little dopamine shot. Boom. Just watched a great article on YouTube about that. It's like we've opened the liquor cabinet to our kids. it's, It's just dopamine. It's like, bam, that's awesome. Someone else liked it. Ooh, look at that comment. Oh, look at that. We're up to 50 likes. We're up to 100 likes. This is so exciting. My parents are into this. Come on, this is my 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 parents are my dad's posting on Facebook. The same chemical we get, you know, uh, uh, from liquor or from doing drugs or from from you know those types of things where we get this exciting dopamine hit. We're getting off of Facebook and it's addictive, is it not? Substitute substitution for. For getting into the presence of God having access to the presence of God we we avoid the presence of God we become professional gatherers can I ask you a question how much more powerful would it be if we all gathered together after being alone with God holding his word and, and petitioning him and crying out to him in prayer over the word of God alone in that quiet place pursuing him and then a group of people who have done that come together and worship Jesus How much more powerful would that be? I love what Francis Chan goes on to say in the article is is he says, I'm not interested in what you have. I'm less interested in what you have to say as a doctorate in theology or as a a human being who's got 60 years of experience. I would be more interested to hear from a 15-year-old boy who had just been in the presence of God. And we come together in our missional communities and we come together in church and and we are so excited about our insights and the things that we have to say. And you know what? Some of the things we have to say aren't really as clever and as powerful as we think they are. If we have not been gaining them and, and gleaning them from our time in the word and in prayer with Jesus. Does that make sense? And I believe God's calling us as a church to learn how to be alone and pursue God so that our community is so much more rich. To learn how to get uh, with him by yourself and get into his word and go after his word. And that's where we want to go now. If you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And now I want to start reading in verse 10. That's where I got verse 10 from. Listen to this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Niconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus Will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which you are able to make which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Jesus, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Amen? So as we look at our affections, as we look at what we pursue, as we take a a, a snapshot, a picture this morning of, of Paul's declaration that he counts everything as loss, for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And we ask ourselves, and we get introspective this morning, practically about what are we pursuing? What are we going after? What is the aim of our life? What is the trajectory of our life? What we see here in the Word of God is that what we should be doing, where we need to be, is in the Scriptures. Amen? And and here's here's what I, I see from 2 Timothy is I see that, that this is not, as John Piper says it, this is not grammar school, that someday we're to graduate to graduate school as we look into philosophy or, or science or Oprah. I don't know. Um, that this right here is what we need to adjust us, to speak to us, to engage us. Most of all, most of all, and look at the passage, to lead us and to teach us about salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is our pursuit, folks. As we pursue God as our greatest treasure, he has revealed to us in his word how it is we are to be saved and to know him and to relate to him. And God's word has everything we need for those things. Amen? We see Timothy, uh, and he addresses him, and he says, listen, you, you witnessed my persecutions. You witnessed... Paul live up to what he was teaching. He didn't just preach, he lived it. And these were actual persecutions we can see in the book of Acts where God didn't save him, listen to this, from having to experience them. He saved him from them as he was in the midst of it. And he says to Timothy, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to know him in his suffering as I did. Then he says to Timothy, listen to this, There's a conservative, not politically conservative, but there's a conservative nature to what Paul's telling Timothy to do in the Word of God. He's saying, remember what you were taught from your childhood, and what we know is Timothy was taught by his grandmother and his mother, the Word of God. He says, I want you to continue in that. I want you to stay there. I want you to camp there in the Word of God in the scriptures, and what you were taught from the time you were a child. I want you to glean the wisdom of what it takes or what it is to be saved, what the salvation of Jesus Christ is, and I don't want you to move on from that. How many of you believe that's the word of the Lord to us today? How many other things could we be listening to to pursue, to go after, and what God is saying is stay there. Camp right there. Continue in the, the, the richness of the Word of God. I I grew up in some churches and and, and not to slam that, they love Jesus and they're wonderful people, but there was a contentment to remain just with a plastic smile, surfacy, yep, I love Jesus, the gospel, let's worship, let's pray, let's do some things, but there was never a pursuit of the word of God and the deeper things of what God says about our salvation, about penal substitution, soteriology, how do we dive into the reality and study the word of God and what he's actually done for us so that that produces in us a real joy. And God's saying, stay there, dig in there, dive in there. You can't exhaust it. Continue in that. Don't be distracted by other things, other philosophies, other ideas of how to do life. If you're going to build the building blocks, the foundational values of a life by which you would make decisions and interact with people and pursue things and spend your money, build it, lay the foundation blocks right there in the Word of God. Amen? was listening to an incredible talk on C.S. Lewis about joy and pleasure. And it was a young man um, who works at Bethlehem Church um, with, with Dr. John Piper, and, I, and he had written a book about pleasure, and he was basically doing a quick talk about C.S. Lewis and joys and pleasures. And it was interesting because Lewis talked a lot about joy and a lot about pleasure. And, and I think what we recognize in our lives is, We're motivated to pursue those things, are we not? Come on, I am. You know, whether it's a Chipotle taco or a beautiful painting um, or an incredible landscape or a a, a nice steak. I always seem to go back to food. (laughs) There's particular pleasures and joys. And we pursue them. We do. And it was interesting because Lewis talks about these joys and he talks about particular pleasures as, as being particular and us recognizing their particularity. Whether it's, it's uh, appreciation, the pleasure of appreciation. Never forget driving from Portland, Oregon when I was in college up into Vancouver, British Columbia with a Canadian roommate of mine to go into B.C. to, to see his grandparents. And it was the first time in my life I was in the car and I was looking around, and I just went, it was beautiful. The mountains, the landscape, I, I began to worship and experienced a joy from seeing that, that I had not experienced before. I'm not an artsy guy, but I remember seeing a particular Van Gogh, it's the one with the coffee shop, Starry Night, and just one day looking at that painting and going, wow, I don't understand it. I don't know what he did with the colors or the painting or the way that he did it, but I want to go there. I want to sit at that coffee shop. It was so beautiful. I want to be there. And there are particular pleasures, there's particular joys that Lewis talked about that aren't bad, that aren't a, distra- aren't a distraction. But if we look at them and we view them through the lens of Jesus, his salvation, his gospel and who God is and what he's done for us, we begin to enjoy the beauty of everything he's created for us to enjoy, does that make sense? But outside of the lens of Jesus and the pursuit of God and those particular pleasures and those particular joys, do you know what we do? We, we settle for, for fake counterfeits and in, in the way C.S. Lewis describes this, he says, we experience a particular joy outside the lens of Jesus in our pursuit of him, and we just keep hitting the encore button. Wow, that felt really good. Do it again. Wow, that felt really good. Do it again. Wow, that was awesome. Do it again. And what it does is it ruins the joy, and it no longer becomes enjoyable, and we become uh, those that Jeremiah 2 describes where instead of pursuing the, 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 the water of life, living water, we drink from cisterns of dirt. Does that make sense? In our pursuit of satisfaction and pleasure and joy, we don't experience it or we ruin it and we keep hitting the encore button. But in our pursuit of Christ in our pursuit of Jesus and his word and who he is and what he's done for us, through the lens of that, we begin to enjoy all different kinds of particular pleasures and joys in the appropriate way, Right? And sometimes, right, in the lens of Jesus, in the lens of our pursuit of him, we recognize things like self-denial. We recognize things like pick up your cross. We recognize things like deny yourself. And what that does is that produces for us an ability to continue to enjoy those pleasures, to actually not be distracted by the encore button hitting the same thing over and over again, but to pursue other joys and other pleasures that we would have never seen if we didn't, if we didn't pursue God and understand what it means to deny ourselves and to, and to put things down and to not do it again. You guys hear what I'm saying this morning? God doesn't we, we can't outgive give him, can we? As we pursue him, as we lay our lives down for him, as, as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and go after him above all else as our greatest treasure, he then gives back the ability to enjoy more things in a, in a way that he's designed us to enjoy them. But as we neglect him and set him aside and pursue pleasure and joy and all these other things, we just ruin it. Timothy, stay right there. What you learned from your childhood, what I've been preaching and demonstrating to you as you've seen it in my life, stay there. Continue in that because it has made you wise to salvation. Because the person who's encountered the gospel, will continue in it, will pursue it, and it will save us. God saves us through his finished work, but his finished work produces in us a pursuit that that we finish, that we go after, that we respond to. And the only way we get to the, the richness of that, the joy of that, is right here. He says it, the Word of God, let's read it together, all Scripture is breathed by God. We get the words of God that He breathed, that He, the God of the universe, the one who shook the mountain in Exodus, has spoken His breathed words to us in the Scriptures. God breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. How many of us need that? I know I do. For correction, for training in righteousness. My encounters with God alone through his word address the biggest issues of my life. They address my pride. When you get into the presence of a 1 Timothy 6.16 God who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. When you're in the presence of that God, how many of you know there's, there's an exercise in humility that begins to happen? And he addresses my pride. He addresses my lies. When you're speaking to an all-knowing judge, Francis Chan quotes Hebrews 4.13 in his article, No creatures hidden from his sight, all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. He addresses the lies in my life. He knows everything. What is one of of the biggest obstacles for us? And I gotta wrap up. What is one of the biggest obstacles for us in our devotional life? What do we say to ourselves? Because we're not in the word, because we're not letting the word of God transform our minds as Romans 12 talks about. What's one of the biggest obstacles for us? Guilt, shame, I can't come to God, I've done too much, I've screwed up, I need to get myself cleaned up before I go to God, right? And God says, no, no. You think God doesn't know who you are? Before the foundations of the world, Ephesians says, you were united to Christ. He decided before the foundations of the world that you would be in his family. That's how much he loves you. You think he doesn't know everything about you? You're completely naked before him. And and you're believing a lie because the word of God is not transforming your heart. As he says, come to me, who can give a charge against God's elect? What court would they even charge you in? He owns everything. You've been declared justified because of his work. And he loves you. No one can bring a charge against you. It doesn't matter what you did. You need to get with him because only he can set it right. Amen? The word of God addresses the lies that are ruining our lives you going to set it right. He knows everything. Stress? Go to Psalm 127.1. Unfortunately, it's quicker on my phone. He addresses the lies... Unless the Lord builds the house, or I'm sorry, stress. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Who's building your life? What's the foundational things that, that your life is being built on? He builds it. Let's let the scripture, the word of God, let's pursue the scripture and the word of God together with an intensity and a fervor as a church that we never have. Let's be a group of people that know what it is to stand alone in the presence of God in His Word and then come together and let's speak the Word of God to each other in this place, in living rooms and missional community and let's allow the reality of salvation the reality of the scriptures the reality of the word of god and our prayer life and our walk and our in our love and our affections for him begin to begin to motivate each other as we encourage each other in the word of god together and pursue him together as our greatest treasure above all else because you know what there is no greater treasure there is no great leisure you're going to pursue and find that is anything like jesus christ There is no success in your workplace that is anything as compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. There is no particular home of a particular size, of a particular value, or a particular car, or pleasure, or joy that is anything as compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. Let's stand together as a group of people and say, like Paul, it's all rubbish. I count it all loss as compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus and through the lens of Jesus and what he's called me to do I'll enjoy those other pleasures that he's given us on this earth. Amen. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Lord, we we come to you completely flawed. We come to you, Lord, recognizing our inadequacies and our, our propensity for distraction. And we ask that you would stir in our hearts through your word affections towards you and that you would enable us to make a plan. In the midst of a God who's gone all the way for us, made covenant with us, that we would respond to you with, with activity, with intentional life disciplines, that we would set aside distractions and we would recognize even though it's not easy, it is more worth, it has more worth than anything else to get into your word, to, to pray and, and to seek you with great passion as we've so passionately in our, in our lives sought after other things. God, this morning, if we are too busy to pray and to read your word, call us to quit something. If we are too busy to go to the mountain when we have access to the presence of the living God, God, I would ask you to to put in the hearts of each of us to get rid of everything else no matter how much we paid for the membership or how much others are counting on us to be there for their entertainment or for, for, for whatever, God, it is all loss compared to the value of knowing you. Help us to go to you first and then through the lens of your gospel and your word enjoy other things in life including suffering. We watch you move in our lives as you will. Do a work in our hearts as a church this year. Let 2017 be a year for Renovation Church where we pursue you as our greatest treasure. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's stand.